Hello, everyone. Uh, I hope you're doing well. Thank you for um, joining us online this morning for our first ever live stream message. Um, let's dive in. Okay, so we're picking up in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. So if you want to open your Bibles or apps, or uh, there's a link below the video in the description for this translation of the Bible and the verses that we'll be reading. So um, we start off in chapter 4 in Ephesians. Um, Paul is in jail um, for preaching the gospel, and he's writing to the church in Ephesus. So we pick up in chapter 4, verse 1. So it says, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. So why does Paul start off this way? You know, uh, why not just say, hey, everyone, do this. Um, instead, he says, he starts off with therefore, meaning it's a continuation of what has come before. Um, you don't start a chapter off with therefore, but in the original letters, they didn't have chapters or verses. Those were only added in about 500 years ago, once the Bible began to be printed on a mass scale. So the therefore is marking a shift about halfway through the letter. Um, before Paul is explaining the gospel, the amazing gift of Jesus, the whole story of the Bible and how God rescued his people. And, and um, so the therefore, lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God, is responding to the amazing gift of Jesus. And Paul reminds his readers where he is. Paul is in prison, like I said, so um, some translations just say a prisoner for the Lord, which I really like that translation because I've had this stirring in my heart of just like, God, let me live and help me live every day for you, no matter where I am in life. Because the Bible says, do whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So what does that look like? Like, are we actually looking at our lives and saying, okay, God, use me here. Use me now. I think a lot of us look to the future. We have these big dreams. We think God is calling us to a dream job or something down the road that's, that's this big thing. And those are good things. God may have put those on your heart. But what God is really calling you to is to be a faithful servant in the day-to-day. -day. In the day-in, day-out, how are you serving him? So what are you doing now? Like you, you're, you might be in a terrible place just Emotionally, you might be in a season of pain and trouble or, or just disappointment and unfulfillment. Or you might be in a season where life is good, and that's awesome. But wherever you're at, God has placed you there for the time being to serve. So how are you being obedient to the call of Jesus? You have to ask yourself, how am I living for God? So Paul was a prisoner, but he was a prisoner for Jesus. Right? He, he may have had, had days where he was sad or you know, disappointed or just missing the freedom that he used to have, but he never let that get in the way um, of him serving Jesus with his whole heart. He never let that stop him from sharing the gospel. So, so we continue on. Paul then says, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. So because of what Jesus has done for you, because you have been called by God, lead a life worthy of your calling. Uh, notice that Paul doesn't, uh, notice that Paul says that every follower of Christ has been called. You know, not just pastors, um, not just certain people, but every follower of Jesus. 
you have a calling on your life to make disciples, to love people, to help the local church just reach the community. Um, if you, so if you read the Bible and you take it seriously, then there's really no room for consumer Christianity. Um, you know, there's, there's people that just come to church, take in the message, um, drop their kids off at youth, take, their, take in the worship, and then they never give back. Or it just, Christianity just stops there. But if you look at what Paul is saying, he's reminding those types of people, saying, hey, no, you are called to something greater. You have a calling on your life, not to just be served by the church, but to serve and to give. Everyone who follows Jesus has been called, so we should live accordingly. So we keep going to verse 2. So this is how we should live. He says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. So these are good things that, like, I think everyone knows are good things, but really only possible through growing closer to Jesus, right? Like, Jesus was just completely, perfectly humble. He was gentle and kind. He was patient. He is not quick to go off. He wasn't in a rush. He's just calm. He wasn't irritated by the daily annoyances and distractions. But patient. He lived patiently. Patience is a lifestyle of someone who is calm, unhurried, and trusting in God. And that's the way of Jesus. And I like this next part, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Uh, just doing research, apparently I found that putting up with each other in love is more of an appropriate translation. Like putting up with each other. You just have to, you just have to do it sometimes, right? Paul isn't naive or idealistic about the church or about people. Um, he's not talking about the enem your, your enemies. He's talking about the people that the Bible calls your brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's truly like a family. You have to put up with each other sometimes, no matter what. Like the faults, the annoyances, you put up with each other and you stick it out for the long run because that's how you love people and that's how you find fulfilling and meaningful relationships and community. And when it says because of your love, um, Paul is not calling us to just a feeling towards one another, not a feeling of love, not just uh, love in a broad sense of, yeah, I love people, but he's calling us to a sacrificial, unconditional love for the people around you, the people in this community. A type of love that's only learned from Jesus. And that's a high calling. That takes time. That takes effort. That takes sacrifice. Absolutely, it takes sacrifice. But could you imagine what a community would be like if we truly loved each other, like the Bible says, like Jesus has taught us, how attractive that would be to the people around us, how different that would be than anything else, anybody else in the world. So, make every effort, so we're going on to the next part of the verse, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. So, make every effort can be understood as saying, like, be eager or be zealous for unity. Like, go after unity. Protect unity. Unity is so important in the church, and it can be very fragile. Like, in Titus um, 3.10, which is another New Testament letter, uh, it says, Warn a divisive person once, then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. 
Now that's really, that's really bold. But honestly, like I think if more churches listened to that and followed that teaching, there might be less church splits. There might be less pain and hostility towards others in the church. And there might be less people leaving the church and leaving their relationship with Jesus because all they've seen in the church is resentment and anger. So, obviously, love and unity are immensely important. So, Paul goes on. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and through all. Again, Paul's just emphasizing this unity that's so important, this one body. That's you, that's us as a church family, that's churches across the world together, and we're all under one spirit. And again, Paul brings up the calling here. You, know, so you have been called, and part of that calling is to live in unity with other believers, with other people following Jesus. And then he's just emphasizing this one, one God, you know, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. He's focusing people on one God. There is no other God. Just one God, and God is one. You know, uh, like the Trinity, God is one, but three unique persons. It's above our understanding, but it's an amazing um, kind of image for what the church should be, because there's unity and there's diversity in God. So just as God is one, we should be one. So then we're going to verse 7 now. However, he has gifted each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. So, however, so we have another shift. Uh, moving from unity to showing that unity is not uniformity or it's not conformity to everyone looking the same, you know, or being the same. Unity is harmony through Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit in the midst of mass differences. So unity is actually maintained through diversity. Um, as we see in the verse we just read, Paul points out he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. So this verse is referring to spiritual gifts and gifts of ministry. So to each of you, Christ has gifted you with a special way that you can serve. Right? That's why we want everyone who is a follower of Christ to help and serve in their local church, not so that we can have all these volunteers and so like the pastor's lives are easier, but we want to see each of you live out your walk with God. We want to see each of you live out the calling that Jesus has placed on your lives, the gifts that he's given you. We want to see you live out that calling in obedience with the Bible. And we want to see you use that gift to bless others and serve others. So we move to verse 8 now. It says, That is why scriptures say, When he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Okay, so this sort of feels like it comes from nowhere, but uh, Paul is, is referencing Psalm 68, 18, which is in the Old Testament, which is the first half of the, of the Bible, um, all the books that were written before Jesus was born. Uh, many New Testament writers would throw in references to the Old Testament just to show how it ties into what Jesus did or show how it foreshadowed or foretold what Jesus did, or to just show how our idea of the meaning of that verse changes because of what Jesus did. So the original Psalm 68 was describing God's triumph over a victory. 
right? So, um, but then Paul takes it and realizes how it can apply to what Jesus did. So he's saying, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Meaning, after Jesus ascended to heaven, so after he died and rose again, um, he defeated evil. So just as God in the Old Testament um, triumphed over the enemies of Israel that represented evil nations and like evil practices and sin, um, Jesus triumphed over the true enemy, sin, evil itself, death, Satan. So saying he led a crowd of captives, meaning he had victory over them. They were his captives. They had no control over what Jesus did. Sin, death, Satan, they were defeated. And then he gave gifts to his people. So um, then Paul continues to reflect on this passage and says in verse 9, notice that it says he ascended. That clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. So Paul is reminding the believers that Jesus wasn't just this being that was so high above everyone, this untouchable God, right? But that he was a humble servant that lowered himself. He descended to our lowly world, but he didn't stay descended. He didn't stay down here. He didn't stay in the grave. He was crucified, yes, but he came back to life. And then he, and then he brought his people new life and gifts and blessed them. And then now he's in heaven and he'll reign there forever as our king. Um, it's really just, the more you think about it and the more you understand what Jesus did, how he descended and how he's in heaven forever, it's just incredible. And Paul goes on earlier when he said, and gave gifts to his people. Now he's saying, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church in verse 11. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Now, so we have a bit of a shift again. It went from talking about the calling that each one of us have to those who are called specifically to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church. So uh, the word apostles uh, just means sent ones. They were the early church leaders, and um, the word really only refers to the early church leaders who were sent by Jesus. You know, they went out, they spread out, and they started the movement of the church, spreading the gospel um, after Jesus ascended and after the Holy Spirit was given. So then we have prophets. So any Christian can prophesy if they're listening to God and if God wants to speak through them. Uh, but prophets would be people who were especially gifted from God to hear from God and speak just like a timely word of encouragement or correcting or whatever God wants to speak to his people. Um, there was a lot of prophets in the Old Testament that would be the voice of God to their people, and that still continues. And then evangelists, who are just people who are especially gifted to travel around and share the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Um, and what's interesting is that we have, in Western Christianity, we have a growing percentage of people who actually think evangelism is wrong. Because we have this, this shift that we really don't want to offend anyone or force our beliefs on anyone. So the term evangelist can be weird for some people. But really, it just means sharing the gospel. And gospel just means good news. It just means sharing the good news. Or more simply put, it just means sharing what God has done in your life 
sharing about the most important decision you've made or the most important person in your life, Jesus. So it doesn't need to be anything weird to evangelize. You don't need to go door to door or uh, hand out pamphlets. Um, you can just simply talk about who Jesus is to you. And I just encourage you to step out and do that. It's easy to say we love Jesus when we're surrounded by other Christians, but it's a lot harder when we go out into our jobs and into people who may think differently than us. And we may be fearful, but this is the calling of each one of us is to go out and spread the good news of Jesus. And then Paul just says, pastors and teachers were given to the church. So, you know, people that, take, that teach and take care of the body of Christ. Paul's pretty much just reminding the church here that there are people in leadership that should be followed, that God has blessed and put in place to lead churches and bring them closer to Jesus. Um, and the churches should follow the leadership and come under the leadership of people that God has placed. And uh, we continue to verse 13. So Paul is saying the body of Christ will be built up. You know, God has blessed the church with these people so that the body of Christ can be built up. And he's saying this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son, that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So this will continue. I like that. Like, this will continue. This is why we meet together in person most of the time. Um, this is why we have prayer encounters and have small groups and everything else we do as a church. We want to build up the church. We want to equip God's people to do his work. And we also meet on Sundays to try and reach out and share the gospel here. So building up the church has sort of both meanings of, um, you know, building up and drawing Christians closer to Jesus and sharing the gospel and, make it, and making it understandable for people who may know nothing about Jesus. So this is our prayer, that this will continue until we come to a place of unity and we grow in maturity. It will continue. And then uh, Paul says, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Measuring up to a standard. So not, not being perfect like Jesus was. That's, that's not what we're called to, but reflecting a maturity and being filled with Christ is what we are called to do. Paul is looking forward at where the church could be if every day they chose to draw closer to Jesus. Moving to the last few verses, I'll just read them, 14 to 16. Then we'll no longer be immature like children. We won't be, passed, we won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we'll speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So this end section is saying it's okay to be, you know, to be childish. It's okay to be immature in your faith when you're a child, right? But you need to be growing up so that we can be more like Christ. And when a whole church does that, it can be healthy and growing and full of love. 
That's what we want our church to be, healthy and growing and full of love. To mature is to just leave childish things behind. And I started thinking about maturity, and to be honest, there's a huge part of me that still misses high school, and that's a sad statement. I know I, I don't want to be that person, but high school was great for me. All right, school was easy. I worked two or three nights a week at Boston Pizza, which I enjoyed. I went to youth on Friday and church on Sunday. But other than that, I just hung out with my friends, which I'm like extremely extroverted. I could do 24-7 and not get tired of it. And so it was, it was fantastic. I had no real responsibilities. Uh, like, I was the third. And don't tell my sisters, but the favorite, the favorite child. Don't tell them, but I was. Um, <laughs> um, so I had quite a bit of freedom, which was great. I appreciated it. It was a lot of fun. Summer was the time of my life because I didn't have school, which meant that almost all my time was given to spend time with my friends, piling into my parents' uh, 1999 Ford Windstar minivan, and then just doing who knows what. You know, I never got into the party scene. Most of my friends didn't either. So uh, we would just hang out uh, at all hours of the night playing video games, uh, just go on drives, stay at Tim Hortons for some reason forever, like, because it was open 24-7. Uh, it, it was great, but, like, I loved it, but sometimes we did get bored. Um, you know, what is there to do? But that boredom led us to the best discovery of my teenage years, which was this one really dumb prank, uh, where we would cut out, so we'd take cardboard, we'd cut out a, a cat, about, you know, like an outline of a cat that's shaped as a cat. We'd spray paint it black uh, with tinfoil eyes, and then we'd stand it up in the middle of the road. Uh, and then we'd just, we would just sit in my parents' van around the corner and just watch to see what happens. We'd, we'd put it there uh, late at night, um, and we would just sit and watch and see what happens. And it was great. We would just hang out and talk, and every once in a while, a car would pass by, uh, and they'd either swerve out of the way, and it was funny to us, or they'd probably hit it and think they hit a real cat. One guy got out, took a picture, like he thought it was funny, and then just drove off. One guy was super mad, and he stole the cat, but then immediately pulled into his driveway. So obviously, the next week, we came back with missing cat posters and put them on his windshield, because uh, that was very entertaining to us. We, for a high school prank, I think it's pretty tame. We took precautions, didn't do it during winter, didn't put it by a parked car. We were, for, you know, for teenagers, we weren't very mean. It was just funny. Um, but then eventually, when we're 18, we began to realize, you know, some things have consequences. So then we stopped doing it because we didn't want anything on our permanent record or for the cops to find us. So we had to leave some childish things behind. And in this story, I didn't really leave that behind for anything better, right? I just not getting trouble with the cops, which I guess is good. That is better. But when we leave childish things behind for our faith, we go to something so much greater each time. You know, there may be things that are fun, tempting, comfortable, but if we give up those things, we can mature and we can grow. As a Christian, we're not, we are called to not stay in a stage of infancy, to not stay where we are, but to continue to mature and to take that next step towards Jesus. 
you know, to know him more, to know more what a relationship is like with him, to just grow deeper into that, um, to take what we learn and apply it to our lives. You know, to be more like Christ every day is what Paul is, is saying to the church, is what Jesus is calling us to. That's what maturity is. And I love verse 15 and 16 because it is just saying, you know, when we mature, this is what a church could be like. Like, we will speak truth and love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Healthy and growing and full of love is what we want to be as a church. It's an amazing picture of what maturity can look like in the body of Christ. And that's our desire. But sometimes there's things getting in the way of maturity. And I suggested this book last time I preached, I think, or maybe two times ago, and I'm going to suggest it again. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. Um, it's like $16 on Amazon. If you can't afford it, 100% email me or text me, and, or next time you see me, come talk to me, and I'll, I'll buy it for you. I'd love to. Uh, this book isn't like the be-all, end-all, but I think for many people, it can be a starting, play, it can be a starting point in maturity. Because it challenges you to change how you live and make time for Jesus, make time for spiritual practices, and get rid of the busyness that we are just prone to. I come back to this book because I don't want to get stuck um, into the world of busyness and lose a close relationship with Jesus. There's one quote that really um, struck me, and I just... I see it all around. So this is a quote from John Mark Comer as he was trying to change how he ran his church and change his life to be slowed down and at the pace of Jesus. So he says this. Recently, I was running the vision of our church by my therapist, who is this Jesus-loving, uber-smart PhD. Our dream was to re-architect our communities around apprenticeship to Jesus. That feels so odd to write down because what else would we be doing as a church? He loved it but kept saying the same thing. The number one problem you will face is time. People are just too busy to live emotionally healthy and spiritually rich and vibrant lives. The number one problem you will face is time because people are just too busy to live emotionally healthy, spiritually rich, and vibrant lives. I don't know how long he was a therapist, but he's a therapist and he became a PhD. And that is his take on the human condition of Western culture, is that people are just too busy for spiritually rich, emotionally healthy, and vibrant lives. Which likely means many of us are just too busy to mature in our faith. We're too busy to go any deeper. We're too busy to teach our kids the way of Jesus. We're too busy for prayer. We're too busy for real community and deep relationships. We're too busy for God, too busy for others, just too busy for Jesus. And it's not that a lot of us are, are bad people with bad intentions. A lot of the time we have good intentions, right? But it's just that we get sucked into this world of busyness and Jesus just gets pushed further and further away. And I think it's like you talk to anyone and everyone feels busy, no matter if they're a high school student or a father of four kids, 
It's this world of busyness and constant um, information and constantly doing things and filling every moment of your day with, um, you know, even just like TV and things that are unfulfilling that just leave you empty and just leave you constantly busy. So something needs to change. This isn't a, a busyness sermon, so I don't really have time to unpack that. But my challenge for you is to either pick up that book or really think about the decisions you are making, what you are filling your time with. Because we should be filling our time with walking with Jesus. And if we don't have time, then we can't become the church that God desires us to become. You know, a church where the body is healthy and growing and full of love. And there's one other problem with with maturity that I'm just going to touch on quick. It's that... um, it's that we read the Bible kind of wrong. Or it's, it's the problem that we try to change what we do without allowing Jesus to change who we are or what we want to do. All right, so uh, a pastor in Vancouver, Mark Clark, pointed this out uh, as I was listening to him one time. He said, we look at the story of Jesus, and Jesus was loving um, and being with tax collectors and prostitutes and the outcasts of the world, and we say, okay, I need to be like Jesus, I need to look for the worst kind of people and try to love them. But he's saying, first and foremost, that's not the way to read the Bible. Because the story of the Bible is that Jesus is Jesus and you're the broken one. Is that we're actually the, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the outcasts of society, the broken people that Jesus came to love. We're not Jesus. That's not how you read the gospel. You have to understand that Jesus came to save you. You're not here to save the world. So then, when we read the Bible that way, we just become crushed by all these things that we should be doing to be a better person. We just become crushed by the weight of religion and this rule book, when instead it's supposed to bring freedom. And instead of trying to just change what we do by reading the Bible as a rule book, we need to be reading the Bible as a way to connect with God, to know Jesus deeper. And through a deep relationship with Jesus, through actually spending time with him, that changes your heart. It changes what you want to do. And the Holy Spirit works in your life that way, not just by you trying to be the best person you can, but you trying to pursue a relationship with Jesus. And that takes time. That takes sacrifice. But that pursuit of a relationship with Jesus is what is going to bring us to maturity, is what as a whole church can bring us to a place where we are healthy and growing and full of love. That is our hope and our prayer and our desire for this church, for each one of us pursue Jesus this way, to mature in this way, to walk with him every day and every day become more like him. And I hope you'll join us in that walk. Please pray with me. Dear God, thank you that you came to save us. 
Jesus, thank you that we don't have this calling on our life to just be the perfect person, to do all these things and, and to never let anyone down. But God, we thank you that you have came, you have come to save us, God. That instead, you have done everything that we need to do. God, instead that you have saved us and brought us closer to you. So Jesus, we pray that you will be working in each one of us, God. God, that you will be speaking to each one of us, drawing us closer to you, walking every day with us as we desire to know you more. Jesus, we pray that our church will be a church that is loving and growing and just full of your spirit, God. Continue to, to draw us closer to you. Continue to help us more and more reflect your love to the world around us. Jesus, we just thank you for what you're doing in this church. Even if people are at home, God, we thank you for what you are doing in their homes, in their lives. And God, we just give this week to you. God, we ask that you help us to lead a life worthy of our calling. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Pastor Brendan, for that excellent teaching from Ephesians today. I, I love that phrase, and I, I started reading the book you referred to, Brennan, there uh, uh, about eliminating hurry. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I started reading it. And that phrase that John Mark Comer uses, an apprentice of Jesus, I, I, I love that. An another way to rephrase what we talk about when we refer to being a disciple, being a learner, being a Christ follower. Uh, there's, there's much there, and uh, that phrase resonated in, in my heart, and, and it, it caused me to evaluate my own walk with Christ. So thank you for that teaching uh, today. If you're watching and you're not a Christ follower, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, there, there is no other way to live than saying, I want to be an apprentice of Jesus. I want to live as he's designed me to live, both now and in eternity, to have the assurance of, of heaven forever in his presence by the gift of Jesus Christ and choosing to commit my life to him and trust him as the, as the forgiver of my sin, that, that sin is the barrier that all of us have between us and our creator. And what Jesus did on the cross and through his resurrection takes care of that completely. And maybe you're watching saying, I, I, I want to start living that way as a Christ follower, as a learner, as a disciple, as an apprentice of Jesus. And I'm, I'm going to trust him in this moment right now to, to be, I'm going to ask him to be the forgiver of my sin and the leader of my life. What's keeping you from doing that? Why wouldn't you? The, the God who created you, who knows you best and loves you most, it's true. And I'm going to pray a prayer, and it's not about these exact words. God knows your heart. But if you'll express that desire and your surrender and your turning from sin and turning from your old way of doing things, and, and it's, that's, that's the word repentance, to turn away from our, our sin and turn to God who wants to lead our lives both now and into eternity. If that's what you want to do, you can pray this prayer and your life will be changed. And in the uh, instructions below this YouTube video, you'll see uh, a cell number 
And if you pray this prayer, you text the word Jesus to that number, and that will allow us to just come alongside you and support and encourage you in your new walk with Christ. You may pray like this and say, Father God, thank you for loving me so much that you sent your son Jesus to take on himself the penalty for sin, which was death, so that I could go free and live free and live eternally. And thank you, Jesus, that that as the Son of God, you came willingly to step into that place of of bearing my penalty and, and the judgment of God upon you for my sin. Thank you for that. I surrender to you today. I surrender my life, my future, my eternity. I, I, I don't have all the answers, but I know you love me. I know you're God, Jesus. And I know you're my eternal sacrifice that I trust in. I place my faith in you for my life now and my eternity with you forever that you promised. Thank you for that gift. I want to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, your eternity in this moment is, is different. It's a beautiful and powerful thing. And as a church, we want to help you. As leaders, we want to help you. There, there, there may be um, people that want to speak to you through the, the chat that's going on right now, which is very cool. And yes, praying for you, Trish. Saw some of the comments. I was listening to Brennan, but I was also checking out YouTube and, and a neat community there. Um, Maybe you don't have a community of believers, of, of Christ followers as a support network and, and a place where you can learn and grow in your, in your walk with Christ as, as an apprentice of His. Uh, we'd love to be that church. And you can use that same cell number, 587-852-5555. Um, uh, 587-852-5526. And you can text the word WELCOME. And that will give us the opportunity to help you find a place of belonging here. So God bless you. Thanks for connecting in today. And again, watch for communication by email, Facebook, Instagram on uh, what this week and beyond looks like. We're trusting God together. And if you need prayer at any point and you need to hear a voice on the phone, uh, we're, we're here. Or email us and uh, we're, we're lifting you up, church family. As leaders, as pastors, we, I know we are all lifting you up in prayer as, as our church family. We love you and uh, God bless you. Have a great day.